So, um, I don't know why I always get the uh, unpopular subjects, but fasting is probably not a popular subject. And uh, like prayer, the uh, saying is probably appropriate more so even with fasting, that when it comes to fasting, when all is said and done, there's a lot more said than is actually done. And uh, so uh, fasting is probably not, uh, if we took a survey, uh, I doubt that we'd have a great number of people who would say, oh, yes, that's one of my best, strongest, most consistent areas of my Christian walk. At least got one laugh out of that. Uh, so um, we are, uh, what we decided to do is have me teach on fasting. I'm going to actually teach probably at 930 or one of the two messages next week. I'm going to finish this with more of a practical what types of fast there are such as there is a fast one day a week type of fast, there's Daniel fast, there's uh, vegetable onlys, or, you know, there's lots of different kinds of fast. And we're asking that everyone in Grace Christian Fellowship uh, consider doing some kind of fasting uh, over the period starting with Ash Wednesday through Pentecost, which is a period of 96 days or one-third... Uh, three months, one quarter of a year. Uh, in business, you deal with quarters a lot, and uh, I believe that if we that we are in a place where we're seeing some breakthrough, uh, we had forty people in the last two weeks for the first time here. Uh, you know, there's fruit. There's good Bible studies going on. Uh, Almost everyone is uh, had breakthroughs and moving forward, and this is really a time when our church is really at the most potential to finally kind of get some momentum going behind it, which the people at that school and the people at that school called Wright State very much need us to rise up. They're, they are waiting for us to come, and no one else is coming. And so... Um, we're dealing in a time where there's much darkness and there's multitudes in the valley of decision, and uh, the Lord wants to send you and us together. So um, one of the things that I hope, hopefully I'll be able to cover next week is that when you're setting goals, don't set goals that are too unrealistic for what you've achieved in the past. So if you've never fasted much, I'm going to explain how you can start with an 18-hour fast, or, or then you can move it up to a 24-hour fast once a week. Uh, don't go out and try to do a 40-day fast the first time you ever that you fasted. Uh, now, I have known uh, a couple young men, in fact, two of them are the other elders of our church, who as teenagers did 40-day Daniel fast and uh, and really changed their life. And so... Um, and in fact, I know, uh, Jason and John more than any other people I know, take the, uh, don't let anyone else know what you're doing thing <laughs> seriously. So they're, they might be mad at me for saying this, but I really encourage you to ask them about the fast that they did. I, there was one that Jason did where he kind of followed the traditional, uh, Lent 
thing where I think you ate normal on Sundays, but you fasted during the week and you can explain it. Take, take a time to talk to Jason about that because that was a real turning point for Jason. That was a lot of years ago, but, um, well, not that many. Cause you, I think you had just bought your new house at that time. So, or it was about that time anyway. So, but it really changed a lot of things for Jason in terms of sensitivity to the spirit, anointing, insight into scripture, uh, authority, and different things. And and I saw John do that uh, twice as well. And I'd really encourage you to uh, to understand that fasting is actually a necessary prerequisite to, to, to have any chance of zeroing in on the call of God in your life. It really is. Um, so... Uh, Derek Prince actually has a book thing. I uh, on the back. Uh, the reason, part of the reason I had you have these scripture readings, is I would like everybody to read the book of Joel. It's only three chapters. Um, I would like you to read it regularly over these next hundred and five days or so, because uh, maybe once a week or something like that. Uh, you might skim it sometimes. You might read it more detailed sometimes. Don't you? Obviously, can't read it uh, and spend three hours on it uh, and and keep up with the other things God's calling you to. But you can read it in ten or fifteen minutes and uh, and think about it. If you're not familiar with biblical symbolism, uh, there are quite a few people in our church that know a lot about that, especially John and Emily and Greg and Catherine. Uh, it, the book is full of biblical symbolism, and it'll mean a lot more to you if you understand some things about biblical cinema, symbolism, what the new wine represents and the grain and so forth and uh, the locust. Uh, and, they, and, and prophetic things in the scripture apply at, over and over again to the people of God. The book of Joel uh, applied to a very specific time. It was also then fulfilled in Acts 2. And, it's, and it applies probably more than ever to the world today. Um, the, the way it describes the people of God and the way it describes the people of the earth and what God is doing is probably uh, it's one of the most pertinent books for our day and our time. So I would really encourage you to do that. If there's a book called From Jordan to Pentecost, or wait, James Jordan is the guy's name that there. Uh, a book called uh, Through New Eyes, Developing a Biblical Worldview. It's on our intermediate list. If you're not familiar with biblical symbolism and you want to tackle a long book on it, it's an excellent book. And you will, after you read that book, you'll probably get somewhere near three or four or five times as much out of the Bible when you read it because it will help you learn how to read Scripture better. So uh, chapter two of a book that we use called Paradise Restored touches on that. He's really... David Chilton is really taking his ideas from James Jordan uh, in terms of uh, how to interpret Scripture. So with that in mind, um, let's get into this. Um, John is, Roman numeral one, I'm not going to touch on much. It just it, it, to say that traditionally Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, and it, the reason it's 46 days and not 40 days, like most people probably thought till just now, uh, is that the, historically the church did not fast on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day was a day of feasting and celebration and taking the Lord's Supper together. And the other six days were days of fasting, so that allows for 40 days of fasting from Ash Wednesday till Easter. 
also known as Pascha. So uh, it's traditionally a time for self-reflection, for humbling ourselves, and for repentance. And if we could do those things, it will revolutionize your Christian life. Everything will be different for you if you can, by the grace of God, come out more humble, more broken. Uh, God can get grant you repentance and so forth. There are several lessons in these, like uh, Palm Sunday and so forth. I love how uh, the, to reflect myself on how Palm Sunday, sorry, how the crowds cried out, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And by Friday, the same people were crying, crucify him. And if you get in any kind of reality before God, we've all done that. But done that. We've all moved from blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him. Way too many times. Peter, full of self-confidence and his, his own solical love for Christ, says, I will never deny you. And by the next morning, from, from, from Maundy Thursday to Good Friday, before dawn, he had denied him three times. So, uh, great time for reflection, and John will teach us more about some of the great lessons uh, in that. I'm gonna, uh, I am only going to cover Roman numerals 2, 4, and 5 today in this message. I'm giving you three to study on your own for no extra charge. So uh, let's get into it. Four key passages on fasting from the Bible. First, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. As Larry made clear when he read, he, he emphasized the word, when you fast, do not look sullen or gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that people will see them fasting. I tell you the truth, they have the reward. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others when you are fasting, but only your Father who is in secret and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Now, three points I want to give you out of that is when, not if. Jesus assumes that all Christians will fast. Now, something that's a challenge for Grace Christian Fellowship, and I encourage you to be sensitive to this, to your friends and so forth, is almost all of American culture has sort of brainwashed us in certain mindsets and so forth. So when someone walks into the church and start first uh, becomes a Christian or is considering becoming a Christian, many things of the Christian life will seem crazy. And I have had literally seasoned Christians who have been in churches for years who when the subject of fasting comes up think that's crazy. However, it was practiced Old Testament and New. It's practiced by virtually every religion in the world, including humanists, Buddhists, uh, you know, Hindus, etc. Even humanists fast. And um, there are undeniable both physical health benefits and spiritual benefits from it. It's just that you shouldn't go too crazy with fasting until you really learn some things about it. And what I'm going to teach you in the next two weeks is not enough. That's why on the bottom of uh, the uh, scriptures for today, I gave you a list of really good books to keep started on. Uh, the last of that is some, some books about juice fasting. And I just let to let you know, I don't know that much about 
I don't know how many Christian books there are out on juice fasting. You have to be careful that some, some fasters are doing it for humanist or witchcraft or occultic reasons. Uh, but some of the things they might have to say about the physical aspects of fasting are good. And a juice fast is something highly recommended if you uh, are an American and eat somewhat of an American diet. If you're going to do any kind of fasting more than three days, you might want to consider that a juice fast may be very much more healthy for you than just a water fast. And we'll talk more about what that means next week. But Jesus makes it clear. He says that, you know, they, the, the Pharisees uh, actually come and confront, and the Sadducees confront Jesus and his disciples, and they say, hey, why do the disciples of the Pharisees fast and your disciples aren't fasting? Right? Remember that passage? It's, uh, the references are there for you in your notes. Because... And Jesus says, well, they don't fast when the bridegroom is with them. Historically and biblically, most people didn't fast on the Lord's Day because the bridegroom was restored to us on the Lord's Day. It's a day for celebration and feasting. And, uh, but you don't, you don't fast at someone's rehearsal dinner. <laughs> and, uh, but Jesus says when the bridegroom is taken away, until he returns for the wedding, there will be time for fasting. And we're living in that time. Now, all, Jesus makes clear that we need to have proper motivations. And he gets at the heart of one of the things we most struggle with, honoring God versus the fear of man. Remember when Saul finally repented, he said, okay, I indeed sinned. Now honor me in front of the people. We all... Uh, want to, God is dealing with us and we're supposed to, he's put really calling us to certain crosses and so forth. And we kind of want to get through them a certain, so that we can be restored to the people. But it's, we get it backwards. It's for us, it's too much about man and too little about God. They, they say if there's any one thing that, that is, um, as prevalent, you know, it, there's maybe a debate as to whether our biggest problem in American Christianity is radical individualism or is our biggest problem a man-centered Christianity. I don't know, but both of those are extremely prevalent and, the, and, and interwoven into all of our thinking that we need to pray to God to be liberated from. We need to study scripture. We need to cry out to God. We need to ask him to sanctify us. But to become God-centered is a is a journey. And what Jesus is basically saying, one way to get God centered is don't tell anybody you're fasting. Don't, now, I, I uh, think it's fine to say, get some advice as to, is this fasting plan acceptable for me or something like that? But that's one thing I've actually admired about certain people in our church, that certain people in our church are, are fasters. And I, if I didn't know them so well, I wouldn't know that because I never hear anything about that from them. That's really important. Um, Galatians 1.10, Paul says this. This, this has to be something you've got to get in your life. He says, if I was still trying to please man, I could not be a bondservant of Christ. God will actually put situations in your life where you have to choose between integrity and the fear of God and holiness and honoring him and honoring someone else who's asking you to do something that's less than integrity. 
And frankly, trying to look uh, more spiritual than we are is a temptation for all of us. God killed Ananias and Sapphira. So when we pray for a visitation of God, I'm praying that God will give me grace to change in that area before we have too much visitation, because I'd probably be dead by now quite a few times. Because who, who's you know, tried to look more spiritual than they really are? <laughs> I've done it so much time. If, if we really were having a great visitation of God, I'd be, you know, John would be speaking this morning. Uh, <laughs> so because I'd be dead. And uh, so rewards. A common theme with Jesus is actually rewards. Now, I really kind of poo-pooed this when I was a young Christian. I was like, you know, it's all about loving God and serving God and so forth. You know what? The Bible talks about rewards. And the key, I love the verse in Revelation where it says he's coming quick and his reward is with him. Do you know why his reward is with him? Because the reward is him. So there's no possibility of having the reward not come with the Lord because he is the reward. The greatest prize is to know him more clearly and to love him more dearly and all that and follow him more nearly. That's the prize. Day by day, like only getting laughs from the old people because that was a song in the uh, what some Christian uh, God's Bell back in the seventies. It's a great song. I love it. Day by day, oh dear Lord, three things I pray: to love you more nearly, follow you more nearly, or more more clearly, and follow you more dearly, or love you more dearly. Whatever. It's a great thing. Great song uh, that obviously I need some more practice on. Uh Rewards. There's, you know what? There are biblical rewards in this life and the next life. I would really encourage you to get a little focus on the rewards in this life uh, because there really is breakthrough that will affect your vocation. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your kids. It'll affect your, your sense of destiny and purpose. It'll affect your fruitfulness. And we cut ourselves off from those rewards by not meeting God's conditions in God's ways. And Jesus is saying, if you fast in secret, my heavenly Father will reward you. Wow. Who wouldn't want that? Uh, point B, humbled or afflicted my soul. Numbers 12.3, I love this. Moses says, now the man Moses was the meekest or humblest man in all the earth. Moses wrote that line. Humility is not what we think it is. It's not being a humble bumble, you know, I'm stupid. I don't, you know, I don't. Humility is living out of God's power and not at all trusting in your own. Humility is for very confident, bold people who have no confidence or boldness in their flesh. That's true humility. Humility, humble people can be very assertive, confident, take charge of situations, but they do it in the name of Christ, in the power of Christ, and for the glory of Christ. That's humility. The psalmist says, but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. By the way, if you've never been to a Good Friday service at a Catholic church, you really need to go to one from noon to three Good Fridays. Because one of the things that they have do is they beat their, their, bosom, their breast. 
and, and they have much, because the Eastern tradition always emphasized the, the risen, present, current Pantocrator, the reign of the Lord Jesus. The Western tradition emphasized the passion of Christ and the, and the death and the humility and, and our entering into it through confessing our sins and repenting and so forth. And they really capture that quite well uh, from noon to three on a good Friday. Go to a Catholic church, by the way, with many ornaments and good decorations and great art. And uh, it's even better. Uh, the Hebrew word for humbled my soul means to afflict, oppress, bring low, beat down. One of the things you'll find out in fasting is you'll find, you'll discover about, especially if you ever do more than, well, you'll discover it the first day if you haven't fasted much. You'll discover what a tyrant your soul and your body are. They will scream, you're not feeding me, I want food. You'll, have, you'll, you'll go to sleep and dream of spaghetti, pizza, the roses on Monday nights with Terry. You know, uh, you you will. I've, I've I've tried to over the years discipline myself when my when my uh, uh, fantasies go over toward food to start thinking about vegetables and brown rice and lean chicken <laughs> instead of about pizza and lasagna and and all things Italian and pasta oriented with plenty of cheese and red meat. Um, so. Uh, you'll discover that your flesh and your soul are absolute tyrants in your life, and they rule you so much more than you think. And you think Christ rules you, and you'll, you'll, you'll by the grace of God, cry out to God for help and grace. And, and as you stick it out with health and help, crying out for help and grace, you'll actually be liberated to a whole new level of Christ's lordship in your life. Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, Part C, Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. I, as, as Larry commented, the, uh, the uh, scripture readings were kind of long today, so I did not include this, and I didn't have enough room to put it all, so there's another assignment. Read Isaiah 58, 1 through 12, many times over the next four months or so, and you will notice what I'm giving you here to take this home and look for this. There are seven statements in Isaiah 58 about having the right motivations and attitudes and actions when we fast. And those seven, if, if you follow those seven statements of the proper motivations and actions and attitudes, there are 10 promised rewards for fasting. And the truth is, if you really think about what the rewards are, you can't actually even begin to hope to accomplish your Christian life in any way, shape, or form without those 10 rewards. So you're basically, when you cut yourself off and you never fast, and, it's, and you think, oh my God, that's some ancient crazy thing. We're Americans, for God's sakes. We, we eat seven times a day. And, you know, uh, it, when, you, when you cut yourself off from that blessing, you're cutting yourself off from the call of God on your life and the possibility of, of fruitfulness. Derek Prince has this little thing in his book, uh, Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting, has a little triangle, and he basically says, you know, this bottom half of the triangle you can achieve with the normal Christian disciplines of 
of uh, pr prayer and Bible study and church attendance and fellowship and being discipled and those kind of things. But there is a, a portion of, of the things God wants to accomplish in your life that you cannot accomplish without fasting. This kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting, Matthew. There are some things that you are a fast away from seeing God release in your life. And here's what... Uh, we'll get into what they are in a minute. Let's just talk real quick about some of the the way um, the way you have to read Isaiah 58 is understand it. And some sometimes it's telling them you've done these improper things. By the way, Isaiah 58. One of the things is most encouraging for me is it's all based on if you fast one day. This is the day I chose. This is what they called the Day of Atonement fast. He's speaking about, and he's saying you guys have this form of religion. You got the right liturgy, investments, and colors and all this, but you really, your, your heart is far from me. And if that doesn't characterize the, the unreality of our religious world today, I don't know what does. First of all, there, so you have to do what's called read the reverse negative. Sometimes he's saying you're doing this improper thing, so you need to do the proper thing. Sometimes he's saying this is the proper thing, so you need to understand they were doing it improperly and we need to make, do it properly. So, but it's important that we have right attitudes, motivations, and actions. Improper versus proper. It's very important. So he starts off by saying, why have we fasted and you did not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you did not notice? Because you didn't take into account these seven proper attitudes and motivations and actions. If you're going to fast, number one, you can't be self-indulgent. When you fast, don't just give up food or whatever. Step away from some television. Step away from movies. Step away. Dedicate yourself more to the things of God, scripture reading, prayer, etc. Serving. Go serve in a soup kitchen. Make it sacrificial. Don't just, oh, I'm not fasting much, so, or I'm fasting and I'm not eating my usual food, so I'm just going to have like a movie marathon of silly, stupid movies that have no, that are pretty much brainless or something. Don't, don't do that. You already have had enough of that. You grew up in America, for God's sakes. You've all had enough mindless entertainment for the last 17 lifetimes. So don't be too indulgent with your creature comforts. Secondly, don't be oppressive to, the, to your family and your workers and people around you. You will find that if, as you fast, um, if you've eaten the American diet, you'll have some periods where you struggle with some grouchiness. Be aware of that going into it and be determined that you're going to be extra gracious. Give, give the, give, you know, give your wife the day off and get up early and make her pancakes and eggs, even though you can't eat any <laughs> or whatever. Don't drive hard your workers. Thirdly, it's a day to make your voice heard on high. So spend extra time in prayer. And if you have a tendency to have your mind wander in prayer, do the proper things to keep your mind from wandering, which can include worshiping first out loud. It can include praying out loud. It can include a prayer list. 
And I know this goes against the grain of evangelicals, but it can include using other people's prayers that God has used throughout the century, pre-written prayers that you read out loud before God to keep your focus. So make sure your voice gets heard on high. Don't just not eat. That's not the same as fasting. You'll be as miserable, but you won't get the rewards. If you're going to be miserable, you might as well get some benefit, right? And you have to spend some extra time in prayer and make sure that you've pre-planned that your prayer won't be an ineffective or a waste of time through the problem that we all struggle with in this culture, being too passive. Believe me, if you change to out loud worship and singing and out loud praying, and that's part of why getting baptized in the Spirit and speaking in tongues can really help you. Uh, and if you change to some things like a uh, prayer list and you work your prayer list, God can inspire you by the Holy Spirit when you're sitting down saying, Lord, give me some priorities to pray for the next three months. As much as he can every time you pray minute by minute. We have sort of an idea in modern times that if it's not spontaneous, it's not authentic. <laughs> well, believe me, there's lots of things that you have to uh, schedule for in life and can and still make them authentic. Uh, especially if you're married and you have kids. <laughs> um, you're going to have to schedule lots of things. It uh, proper a day for a man to humble himself for bowing one's head, sackcloth and ashes, and etc. Sackcloth and ashes. I don't know that you need to go out and get a sackcloth uh, long underwear set and so forth. I don't know if they sell those. That actually might be a great idea. But uh, <laughs> somebody let me know if they sell sackcloth uh, underwear and. Uh, <laughs> Undershirts. I want. I want a wife beater shirt. Those, you know that, uh, that terrible name. But uh, you know those shirts that have no uh, sleeves. That's made out of burlap bag. You know. Uh, anyway, you need to you need to afflict your soul a little bit. And uh, you know what the Bible tells us to humble ourselves. But here's the bottom line. It, I if you've tra traveled anywhere along this journey of the Lord you know, a few feet to a few miles, you know that your number one enemy is you. Me. It's our pride. It's our rebellion. It's our self-reliance. It's our control. And one of the things that I do about the, the Bible's constant commands to humble ourselves is I cry out to God and I say, help, I don't even know where the pride is. It, it hides. All right? And I, I need your help to humble myself. You need revelation from Scripture. You need insights from God. You need your wife to help you humble yourself. Believe me, wives are great at that. But uh, they have like a special anointing uh, to help you humble yourself. And uh, you, you need all of it. You need your friends, your, you know, Romans and your countrymen. Uh, you need to humble yourself, and, uh, and we need help. So, um, well, we're real late, so i got to move on. Uh, 
you, you, by the way, this loosen the bonds of wickedness can be interpreted and is interpreted as both physical and spiritual. So it has to do with things like deliverance and people being reconciled to God and the gospel, but it has a lot to do with social injustice. It is one of my great privileges in life. I, I love Tuesday. I had the great privilege of starting the day at a pastor's breakfast at the crisis pregnancy center, followed by a tour by Emily herself. And, uh, and I ended the day with uh, the um, um, Human Trafficking 101 seminar, uh, D, what are they, DMST. And, um, you know, I am glad that we have, that our church is getting involved in teaching reading, in helping 100% of the kids that live below that, at that church live below, or that church, no, it is a church. It's a synagogue. Uh, it's a kind of church, in a sense. They, they live below the poverty line, all of them. Almost every one of them comes from a broken home. I've got to move on. Well, the Ten Promises, I'm, I'm going to give those to you because of time-wise and, and encourage you. They include lots of things. There, read them in Isaiah 58 and, and go over this list when you're, because if you, if we don't get those things, I don't know how we can could go like light and continual guidance. Number two and number six are different things. Light has to do with God opening us up to the whole biblical paradigms and the, what, what needs to happen if the church is going to be restored and seeing him more clearly and so forth. Continual guidance it has to do with what are we going to do about that? And we need that as a church. You need that as a person, and we need that. We need that. Pray for the elders of this church to get continual guidance. God has, you know, the last 10 years, God has helped us see and see and see and see in terms of biblical worldviews and restoration issues and the gospel and so many things. I've never felt more clear uh, in my whole life, and I would say it has to do with with lots of fasting, is more maybe even more than lots of studying. We need those things. Satisfaction, obviously. I'm sorry for Mick Jagger; he's not going to get any satisfaction. But uh, um, he'll, you know, there's a great blessing. Very few people you meet this have satisfaction. Satisfaction is when you when you have this kind of. Um, it's like there used to be this cartoon where this dog wanted a biscuit. And they threw the dog the biscuit, and and then he gets the biscuit, and he and he goes, mm, and then he shoots up in the air, and he comes back, and he goes, ah. <laughs> he just remember he flows down, and he goes, ah. We need uh, a place where we're thankful, content. Uh, and it's ironic that it, but it has nothing to do with not wanting to press in for more of the Lord, but it has a lot to do with, with not worrying and not being grouchy and not complaining about our situation and not being bitter. Uh, you need satisfaction. Restoration, the 10th one, I'm going to have to skip most of these is my favorite because it says those from among you in the new American standard, only a few of the English translations bring this out, but there's a generational component. Um, 
I only found one English translation that really brings it out fully, that it has to do with your children being the restorers and the repairers and the so forth. And like I've often said, you know, when we started this church, God, you know, spoke to me and said, I gave you grace to be a father. Now I'm going to bring people who need to know how to be fathers and people who need a father. Fathering is the most important thing you can have going on in your life. Being a great father. And uh, nothing is, is, is more awesome than when you're, physical children become your spiritual children and when your spiritual children become so close they're like your physical children and when they start to go past you in many of the things of the lord nothing is better than that nothing and that's something god wants for all of you god wants some of your spiritual children to bring about the restoration of, of his purposes, the church and the kingdom of God for generations to come. Now, Roman numeral three, you can do this on your own. Uh, there are eight famous Bible fasts that I included there and their results. I put some notes, I, you, I put the chapter, you can find it. Four of these are covered in Derek Prince's book called Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting of the eight that I listed there. He, he focuses on four of those eight. Now, here are some GCF prayer goals uh, that we'll have. Again, we're not asking you, by the way, to fast. I'll make this clear next week. We're not asking you to fast for 96 days unless uh, you're at least as thick as me. But, uh, you know, because, by the way, if you read the fasting books from Europe and all this, they do fast like 110 days and stuff like that in Europe. But go to some Scandinavian health spa if you're going to do that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, instead, you know, going in the saunas every day and all that. Uh, believe me, though, we have this idea like it that if I skip a meal, I'm going to die. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I don't think there's anyone here that if you skip a meal, you'll die. Uh, unless you have some kind of strange medical condition, in which case you shouldn't fast without your doctor. Um, fasting, by the way, is one of the best ways to uh, overcome type 2 diabetes, which the current, you know, once you have it, you're supposed to have. That's nonsense. I don't want to. I don't want to go there. But uh, I was diagnosed with type two diabetes over 15 years ago, and I've never had to take any medication, or and my blood scores are perfect every time, and so forth. And it's partly because I fast. Yeah. And uh, now I should do a lot more like exercising. And I do a little exercising, but uh, obviously too little. Um, some GCF prayer goals. All I'm saying is, you know, I, I, I really think that uh, lifestyle diabetes needs to be addressed by getting a little bit more radical than the average American advice about your lifestyle. So our uh, here's basically three goals for GCFs. Uh, you can, if you have a constructive and humble and loving spirit, you can suggest more to Jason, John, and I online this coming week. This is why we did this 10 days before Ash Wednesday, so we could give some thought to it. But here's some ones that I came up with last night. Uh, first of all, personal and corporate breakthroughs in the following areas. Obviously, we're going over today. You can stone me later. Um, 
the first five steps of entering the kingdom, I've been having a lot of Bible studies working on taking people through these things. And it really has to eventually become a pattern here that when someone receives Christ, they get all the things that happen in the New Testament in the book of Acts happening in their life right at the beginning. Normally, these days, it might take 5, 10, 20 years, and many people don't have several of the experiences that New Testament Christians had at the beginning. But really, that has to do with issues of the restoring the full gospel. It has to do with issues of making disciples instead of decisions. It has to do with uh, what we model in community. It has to do with a lot of issues, but we really need to pray that everyone would experience the first five steps of entering the kingdom of God, as, as you can read time and time again in the book of Acts. Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 19, if you want to look for some models. Vocation, finances, education. I, I didn't get a chance to talk to Lisa or Emily before church today, but I'm going to ask them to join the prayer team if they can, if they don't have to get home right away. If they can stay for a few minutes, just stay in prayer. Uh, we still have a couple people who need jobs. We have some people who need better jobs. Um, this has been something ironic, but a great blessing of, of uh, Grace Christian Fellowship since the start of the recession has been we've hardly ever had more than one or two people who need a job. We've had all kinds of raises, promotions, uh, jobs found amazingly, and so forth. That seems to be something that God gives us favor with. If you need a better job, if you need, you know, I've been encouraging Sam, even though there's a rule at his where he works, Sam has done a great job at Arby's. He's always on time. They love him. They schedule him lots of hours. And there's a rule you can't become a shift manager until you've been there two years. And I encourage Sam to start praying for and, and uh, ask to become a shift manager. Why? Because you that would be great experience for you to, to be a manager instead of just slicing up freshness. Uh, <laughs> so teach other people how to slice up freshness. So um, really, if you need a better job, a job, promotion, whatever, please come up and get prayed for today. But that needs to be a, a prayer goal for us. And uh, I don't know if Larry or John or, or Jason could join Lisa and Emily. You know what I, I love about Lisa and Emily's situation is, frankly, they're in situations where I don't know how desperately they needed the job and the money and so forth, but they, you know, that was part of being productive and, and, and getting out of the house and doing some wonderful things. And both of them got jobs that directly impact the kingdom of God's issues. I pray to God that we'll have more people in our church that are working for, uh, you know, the, uh, our Oasis house, the crisis pregnancy center. Uh, I, we need enough finances to come into this church that eventually Kids Rock has at least one full-time person doing it. We need enough finances to come into this church that eventually at least one person at, at, at Wright State is full-time and not split between different ones. We need, And we're discipling people and working with people to that effect, and we hope God will give us the right people but we also need the right finances to, to come together to do that. We need to pray for that. We need full-time people. Uh, we need numerical growth. We need to grow in biblical and Christian education. Hosea 4, 6, my people uh, perish for lack of knowledge. 
Um, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that includes spiritual gifts and more people moving into spiritual gifts, both in their personal life and small groups and corporate prayer. We need more prayerfulness. If there's one thing that I think we've really struggled with is because we emphasize vocation and so many people are young and growing vocationally and educationally, we, it's really not that easy to find times to have prayer meetings. But we, we need more prayerfulness as a church. And we won't break through if we don't have that. So start, grab a few brothers and pray. And we really need to make sure, like, if four or five people get together on a Saturday night to play games, great. Make sure you spend some time in prayer. And there's, there's, a, uh, there's a reason why we have a lot of people in this church that have keys to the church. And while that may help with the shoveling snow effort and turning up the heat at the right time effort and so forth, the number one reason that we have that is because you can come here and pray anytime. You can get one, two, or three, or four people. Don't wait for someone else to take charge. Start a prayer meeting. So that, that is really probably the most cr crucial thing that we need in Grace Christian Fellowship is more prayer. One of the reasons we're trying to get a single brother's house or apartment near Wright State is because we do these nutty things where we get a few guys from Wright State, then we come over here to pray so we could go back there to share the gospel because we don't really have a good place where we could pray over at Wright State, but we need an apartment by Wright State that we can pray at and go out sharing the gospel by next year. We definitely need God to give us the right people to have three or four guys in an apartment right near Wright State where we can have prayer meetings in the living room and go out sharing the gospel. That has to, that's, a, that's a domino that has to fall for us this year if we're going to continue to go forward. All right. Now, lastly, point five, uh, escalate to victory. You can read the Bible passage for yourself because we're way past time. Let's get the kids. But um, you know what? Step back from your life. Even Socrates, who wasn't a deep follower of Jesus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. So even Socrates said, the life not examined is not worth listening or living. Part of what fasting is about is self-examination. Step back from your life and say, what is holding me back from loving God more? Uh, is it, in some cases, it's just the fact that you don't understand the love of God. If you struggle with condemnation or rejection or whatever, do what it takes to get healed and set free. Because if, if following God is not a joy, something's wrong in the very foundation of how you view God. Encounter the love and grace and gospel of God in such a way that condemnation and beating yourself up and all that is not a problem. Also step back and see what is keeping me from spiritual disciplines. Whatever, step back and examine your life. And after you've examined it, talk to somebody older in the Lord who, who uh, is preferably like one of the elders or their wives or, or somebody that can help you look at what you're examining and see if you're on the right track. To be a good brother, to be a good sister, to be a good husband, wife, to be a good uh, discipler, to, to grow in the knowledge enough to, that you can actually make disciples. 
if you're not uh, working toward the place where you become, are becoming a fisher of men, get on a realistic plan to become a fisher of men. So what I'm saying is, is you, you know, you've got, it's, it's the Elliot Ness principle. If you remember the movie Untouchables, when he's, Sean Connery says, what are you prepared to do? You know, you, are you prepared to go far enough to, to, to break through? And this is a season where I'm, I'm praying, I'm asking you, break through to another level in God.